Alright, everybody doing okay today? We're going to be uh, over here in uh, John chapter 1 today. We're going to be talking about, I guess we'll be talking basically about the glory of God today. And uh, I was thinking about all those songs we were singing and how they really applied to what we're going to be saying today. And we're going to be in John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at verse 14 and then we'll see how far we get after that. But if you remember uh, the last couple of times I've been here, we talked about that the whole reason this book was written was because John wanted us to understand that Jesus was God in human flesh. He starts out by saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the, he says in the he was in the beginning with God. If you didn't get it the first time, he wants you to understand he was there always. And then he says all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In other words, Jesus made everything. He made it all. And uh, so then John comes along and he starts talking about he was the true light. He was the one that, that tells everybody here that there's really truly a God. He gives us light through creation. He gives us light through uh, our conscience, plus He gives us light because He gave us His Bible and the Word of God, right? And He gave us His Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and judgment and righteousness. And then the last time I was here, we talked about as many as received Him, as many as believed that received Him, He gave the right to become the children of God to as many as believed in His name. And so we can't work our way into heaven. We can't uh, will our way into heaven. We can't get there because we were born of a certain race or a certain group of people. But God has no no grandchildren, but he has only children, right? And so we talked about that. And so today we want to read, I just want to read verse uh, 14. And then we'll uh, start going from there. He says in John chapter 1 verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I thought it was so appropriate, all the songs we sang today, that how great He was, and you know how He gets the glory, and all those things. And it was just... It just amazes me sometimes how God works everything out. And so he says, the Word became flesh. Uh, one man put it this way, the infinite became finite. The eternal was conformed to time. The invisible became visible. And the supernatural one became natural. Well, you know, John, this is the last time John's going to use this particular term. I hate to say the word, word, but this particular term, the word. And remember he says that this term, the word, means the divine being or divine power that, that brought order out of all the chaos that was here. That's what the Greeks believed. And so he's using this term as a bridge word to reach not only the Greeks but also the Jews because they would go, why in the world is he using this particular word? And so this is the last time he'll use it. And from this point on, he wants to talk about Jesus and make sure that we understand that this word became flesh and dwelt among us, that we know that this is Jesus Christ. And so he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, 
full of grace and truth. Look what he says here. He says, the word became flesh. I mean, basically, God, the Bible says in, in uh, 1 John chapter 4, I believe the last part of that verse, that God is a spirit. And so, as a spirit, he doesn't have flesh, right? Nobody can see a spirit. But yet, it says here that the Word became flesh. He literally became a man. And he dwelt among us. In other words, he put on human flesh. Just like today, we put on our clothes, right? And I think about God being all God. But he's also all man. Did you understand? Does that make sense to you? It's hard to understand, isn't it? But he's a hundred percent God, and he's a hundred percent man. God never was less than God. Jesus was never less than God. But what he did was, when he came to Earth, he added human characteristics. He added human flesh, and that was. The whole reason he did that was so he could die on the cross for our sins, right? And so he became flesh. That word flesh, a lot of times when it's used, speaks of of sinfulness. But in this context, John's not trying to say that, that Jesus, the Word, became sinful. He's just trying to say that he put on a human body and dwelt among us. That's what he's trying to say. You know, I think about it in the Old Testament. What happened when God first created uh, Adam and Eve? What did he do? He he walked with them in the garden, right? And then after they sinned, he made them build him a tabernacle. And in that tabernacle, and that's what this word dwelt literally means. Some of the old King James versions say he tabernacled amongst us. And what they would think of is this place where God dwelt and he dwelt in the holy of holies and he dwelt in a place that was unapproachable and once a year they could go into this place and they would give a sacrifice and they would do that but when they went in that presence they had to be uh, confessed up and prayed up and they had to have made all their sacrifices because if they went in there with sin in their lives they would die and what they would do, what tradition says is the priest would have a little robe and it would have little bells all over it. And they would tie a rope around his waist so in case he went inside there and he didn't have his life quite right or he decided to sin while he was in the presence of God, he would drop dead. And so unless they wanted to wait till next year to get him out of the temple, they had to uh, put that rope around him and they could drag him back out. I mean, that's how holy... God is and it's been being brought to my attention so much more in the past week or so and uh, we started studying a book called Respectable Sins you know and we we act like all the world's got all the problems but it's okay for us to be angry or overeat or you know or to you know complain and all these other things that we do as Christians and we act like it's okay but if we could see the vision that Isaiah saw when he saw God high and lifted up on the throne and and he he saw his glory and he he said I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips and he realized just how sinful he is but so many times we we're, we're you know patting ourselves on the back and say I'm a pretty good person 
We were talking about that in our little group the other day, just a little side note, but there used to be a book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And uh, everybody's okay, but when we get down to it, we're not. And, you know, that's what we need to understand, that the very presence of God, the very glory of God dwelt among us. Think about that. God, who lived up in heaven, came down to earth and he, and he dwelt in a human body so that he could die on that cross for us and pay for our sins so that we could go to heaven. That's what he did. I mean, you know, I think about Philippians chapter 2, and I want to turn over there for a minute, but Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, one of the greatest passages that, you know, that's on the uh, incarnation of Christ, when Christ came to earth, and basically what it says over there is that, that we need to have the same mindset that Christ had. Let me get there. It says in chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you not only look out for your own interests, but for the interest of others. And so he says in verse 6, Who being in the form of God, that word form literally is the word schema, which means to actually be God. I'm in the form of a man because I am a man. Now there's another word called... uh, metamorphosis you know you put a a caterpillar in a cocoon and he metamorphoses into a you know a butterfly right or a moth but yet that's not the word he says he is literally God who did not consider it to be equal with God because he was God but he made himself of no reputation think about it while he was here on earth what did he do he washed the disciples feet He said he didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, He says here he took the form, there's that same word, of a bondservant. He literally became a servant. And coming in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father what is the name it's not Jesus Christ but it's the title Lord because he's head of everything he's the boss of everything he's the king of kings he's the Lord of lords He's the most high God. He's the great I am, the first, the last, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He is all of those things and then more because we have no comprehension of who he is. But yet he gave all that up and he came down to earth and he dwelt among us as a man so that we might have eternal life. Can you imagine the very God that, that Philippians 2.6 says... He humbled himself and he came to earth. Think about that. And he made himself of no reputation. The Bible basically calls that the kenosis. That's a theological term that means the self-emptying. Jesus was never less than God, 
But you know what he did while he was here on earth? He gave up the use of some of his abilities. Because he was God in a human body, guess what? He couldn't be everywhere at once. Because he was God in a human body, he gave up the use of some of his attributes. He says, when the disciples ask him, when are you coming back? He says, no one knows that. Not even the Son of Man, but only the Father in Heaven. But yet we saw glimpses where he could read people's minds. So we knew he was God. He said he knew what was in the heart of man. Sometimes people were thinking stuff and he told them what they were thinking. I mean, John, the whole book, he writes, the whole reason he writes this book is he gives us seven miracles and seven key people that witness to these miracles. And the whole reason he does is he wants us to understand that God came down to earth in human flesh and he dwelt among us. I mean, remember he walked in the garden and then he dwelt in a tabernacle and then he departed because Israel sinned. And then in the New Testament, God comes in a human body and he dwells among us. You know, John doesn't have any uh, virgin birth. He doesn't have any genealogy. He doesn't have any of that stuff in this book. He just goes straight to the point, says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, John wants us to understand that, that God came down to earth and he lived this perfect sinless life. Later on he's going to tell us in John 1 29, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But yet he's here and he says he became flesh and dwelt among us. What a privilege to have God, a very God living amongst us. And he lived here 33 years so that he could pay for our sins and he could live that perfect sinless life and so that he could be the one that died on that cross. So think about it, folks. I mean, the Word became flesh and God dwelt among us. You think, man, I'd love to have been there because God was dwelling amongst us. But you know what, folks? We actually have it better than they do because... Or they did, because guess what? The Bible said God dwells in us if we know Jesus Christ as His Lord and Savior. He says in Romans 8 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ living in him, he is none of his. That's the Holy Spirit. And so we actually have the Holy Spirit living in us. So He walked among them, and then He lived in a tabernacle, and then He dwelled among us, but now He lives in us and through us. And He, you know, Jesus later on, He'll talk about John the Baptist, and He says, you know, John was the greatest ever born among women. And, and But then He comes back and He says, but He that's the least in the kingdom is greater than John. Why is He greater? Because John didn't have the Holy Spirit living in him and through him. John couldn't do all the things we do today because he didn't have the Holy Spirit living in him and through him. And it's not that we do it, but it's the Holy Spirit living in us and through us that makes our lives so much different than that of the greatest of the Old Testament saints. But yet he says we beheld his glory. Think about that, the glory as of the only begotten. And that word begotten really... You know, we'll talk about it just for a second, but um, really doesn't really carry the the meaning that 
we want it to carry, but it really means the only preeminent one, the only prominent one, the only one, the only one of his kind. He's he's came from the Father. He we beheld his glory. Now when did we see his glory? We saw his glory, or actually the disciples saw his glory when? On the Mount of Transfiguration. But you know what? John doesn't even mention that. He doesn't mention that. But you know what John wants us to understand? Every time we read our Bible, every time he talks about Jesus Christ, every time we hear something about him, every time we see something about him, every time we hear about one of these miracles that he does, he wants us to understand that we're seeing his glory. Because God is glorious all the time, isn't he? I mean, he's not just glorious when he heals us. He's not just good when he heals us. He's not just uh, beloved when he does the things that we want him to do. They have old saying in the prison, they say God is good. And then they say God is good all the time. And then all the time God is good. Well, guess what? God is glorious all the time he's glorious. Glorious is he all the time. Because he is the one that we're to give all the glory to because he did everything for us. I mean, it amazes me. You know, how we get to thinking about ourselves sometimes and we get so proud and we get set ourselves up on little pedestals and we act like we think we're doing so good. But you know what? If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for all the wonderful things he's done for us, where would we be? Where would we be? You know, and and what would we have done with our lives? Yeah, I don't know where everybody stands in here today. I hope and pray that every single one of you know that you know that you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven. That's the most important thing we'll ever have to make up our mind about in this life is whether we're going to believe that Jesus is the Christ and we're going to ask Him to forgive us because we realize we're sinners and we realize the only way we're going to get to heaven is because of Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. It's more important than anything else. And if you hadn't got that settled, you need to get that settled today. Because that's the most important thing we can ever uh, consider. And the most important thing that we'll ever do. But he says we beheld his glory. So he it's the glory of the only beloved one. The only preeminent one. The only uh, one of his kind. Of the Father. Full of grace and truth. And so here's God. In human flesh. And he's demonstrating how great the Father is. We talked about this last time I think. When when uh, Thomas says. Oh Jesus show us the Father. And, and Thomas. And Jesus looks at Thomas and said. Thomas have you been with me so long. And you don't know. That if you've seen me. You've seen who. You've seen the Father. I mean Ephesians 1 chapter 1 verse 1 through 15 Three times he talks about the praise of God. He said we've been redeemed. We've had all these wonderful things going on in our lives. And it's to the praise of his glory. It's the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. Because he's the only one that deserves the glory. And everything that we say, everything that we do, should give God glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, 
it should all be to the glory of God, right? And and I think about Romans eight twenty eight. He says he works all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purposes. And so no matter what happens in our life, we should give God the glory. I mean, even Solomon said it in Ecclesiastes, uh, I think it's chapter 14, I believe it is, or 12, whichever the last one is. And he says that the chief end of man, the whole reason we live is to give God the glory. And if we're not giving him the glory, guess what? Then life is meaningless. Life is worthless. And so we need to behold his glory and give him the glory. Because he's the only one that really has the glory. And yet we think so many times how great we are. But yet we need to be singing how great thou art. And he's the glory of the only begotten, the only beloved one, full of grace and truth. He's the only one that's full of grace and truth. Remember what happened in the Old Testament? Moses brought the law, didn't he? There wasn't much grace, though, was there? You know what grace is, right? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's the unmerited favor of God. It's like slapping somebody upside the head. And they say, oh, well, here, let me give you ten bucks. You sure didn't deserve ten bucks after you slapped them upside the head, right? That's getting something you don't deserve. But you know what? The Bible says we are enemies and sinners. And Christ died for us. And yet, He gives us salvation as a free gift. That's grace. That's grace, folks. That, that He doesn't kill us the first time we sin. That's grace. He said He's full of grace and truth. Remember what happened in the Old Testament? When you sinned under the law, what did they do? They stoned you. They killed you. Remember a few times that uh, God opened up the earth and... You know, he sent the serpents to bite people. And he did all these things because they weren't glorifying him. But yet, we need to realize when Jesus came that there's grace and truth. I think about Ephesians 4.15 that says, Speak in truth with love. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. But, you know, sort of like the Old Testament when they just stoned people and did all that stuff to them. we get out the old shotgun, double-barrel shotgun. we give them both out. Pow! Well, I told them the truth. You know, who cares about love? But I told them the truth. They needed to hear that. But the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. There's a way you can tell people that you love them. There's a way that you can tell them the truth without, you know, just destroying them. And that's what Jesus does through the Holy Spirit and through His love and through His death on the cross. As He tells them, Marty, you're messing up. You're a sinner. You're an enemy. You've done all these things that are wrong, but yet I still love you. I still died on the cross for you. Think about that song. I wish I could sing it. Uh, One guy sings that song. He says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And guess what? Y'all were on his mind too. All of us were. Because while he was dying on that cross, he was dying for all of our sins. But he's full of grace and truth. He tells us we've messed up, but yet he loves us anyway. Isn't that what love is? Love is what 1 Corinthians 13 says. That we don't have to um, 
that it's not envious, it's not boastful, it's not all these things, but love is kind and patient, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And so we need to realize that's what God did with us, right? And that was First Peter says, he said he's long-suffering and patient, not willing that any should perish, but all come, should come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's the one that came down and he lived 33 years. Can you imagine being God and having to have your diaper changed, having to learn, having to go to school, having to be there with the rest of the kids? And be God in a human body, but yet you're doing it because you love the people that you're living amongst so much that you're coming to die for their sins, coming to die in their place. And every time he lives that life without sin, every time he lives that life uh, and, and it creates a miracle or just you know, lives his perfect sinless life, we're seeing the, the glory of God. And, and he's so full of grace. And he's so full of truth. And so, you know, folks, if we could just get a hold of the picture of the glory of God and how awesome he is. Like I said, I've been seeing a little bit more of that in the last week or two. I don't know what it is, but, you know, we started studying that book respectable sins and there's so many little things that we do that we think sometimes are okay but they're not really the bible says do all things without complaining (laughs) and muttering how many times do we complain and mutter you know the bible says to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it guess what it's sin so if we know we ought to do something and we don't do it that's sin you know, James says if we stumble in one point, we've broken the law. In one point, we've broken the whole law. Because it is not sins, but it is sin like one big book, right? When you break one, you've broken them all. Because God says there's a solidarity about the book of the law. That they're all one, and when you break one, you've basically broken them all. Remember how God dealt with the Old Testament folks? When one of them sinned, they all got punished, right? In the New Testament, the Bible says that a little sin leavens the whole lump. And so a church that's not living right, a group of folks that aren't living right, it only takes one. What's the old saying? One bad apple spoils the whole bunch. And so if we could just get a hold of the fact of how great God is, how awesome He is, and see Him high and lifted up is 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 Isaiah saw Him, and I've been saying that this week, Lord, just show us the Father. We want to see the Father. We saw Jesus. We didn't see Him physically, but we see Him written down in the pages of the book, and we see how great He is. But I want to get a new sense of how great and awesome God is in my life. What he's done for me, what he's kept me from. And I I hope and pray that that's what you want to do too. Because God is so wonderful. He's so glorious. He's so awesome that we need to get a glimpse of how great he is. Let's just pray and we'll close. Father, I thank you today for your grace and your mercy and your love. And I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And 
I just thank you that you are such an awesome God. There is no uh, awesome anything, but you're the only awesome one. You're the only great one. You're the only one that needs to be glorified. And Lord, I pray that you would give all of us just a glimpse of how great you are. And we would be like Isaiah and realize just how sinful we are. Not because, Lord... We, we're trying to tear people down and we're trying to uh, beat us down and just have a beat down session and knock people down off their feet and just tell them how horrible they are. But because we realize that how good you are and how gracious you are and how you've saved a lot of us and have changed our lives and, and, and because there's nothing good about Marty but you came into my life and now Marty's called a saint. I have been declared legally righteous. And Lord, I pray if there's even one today that doesn't understand your holiness, doesn't understand their sinfulness, then they need to trust you and believe on you through the Lord Jesus Christ that, and ask you to forgive them and ask you to save them. I pray today that they would do that and that you would come into their lives and show them how great you are and show them that you can change their lives and make them a new creation. We thank you for that. We thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.